European Hearts Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 37, Issue 25, Focus Issue on Lipids, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Frontiers in Lipid Research, Mechanisms, Diet, and Novel PCSK9 Inhibitors. The measurement of lipid profiles is crucial in primary and secondary prevention and recommended by the most recent ESC prevention guidelines. There is, however, uncertainty on how to do this properly. In a joint consensus statement of the European Atherosclerosis Society and the European Federation of Clinical Chemistry and Laboratory Medicine, they clarify this issue in their joint consensus statement, fasting is not routinely required for determination of lipid profile, clinical and laboratory implications, including flagging at desirable concentration cut points. The authors critically evaluate the clinical implications of the use of non-fasting rather than fasting lipid profiles and provide guidance for laboratory reporting of abnormal non-fasting or fasting lipid profiles. Extensive observational data, in which random non-fasting lipid profiles were compared with those determined under fasting conditions, indicate that maximal mean changes in 1-6 to six hours after habitual meals are not clinically significant and average 0.3 millimoles per litre or 26 milligrams per deciliter for triglycerides, 0.2 millimoles per litre or 8 milligrams per deciliter for total cholesterol, 0.2 millimoles per litre or 8 milligrams per deciliter for LDL cholesterol, 0.2 millimoles per litre or 8 milligrams per deciliter for calculated remnant cholesterol, or 0.2 millimoles per litre or 8 milligrams per deciliter for calculated non-HDL cholesterol. Concentrations of HDL cholesterol, apolipoprotein A1, apolipoprotein B, and lipoprotein A, were not affected by fasting or non-fasting status, respectively. In addition, non-fasting and fasting concentrations vary similarly over time and are comparable in their ability to predict cardiovascular disease. To improve patient compliance with lipid testing, the authors therefore recommend routine use of non-fasting lipid profiles, while fasting sampling may be considered when non-fasting triglycerides are higher than 5 millimoles per litre or 440 milligrams per deciliter. For non-fasting samples, laboratory reports should flag abnormal concentrations of triglycerides equal or greater than 2 millimoles per litre or 175 milligrams per deciliter total cholesterol equal or greater than 5 millimoles per litre or 195 milligrams per deciliter LDL cholesterol equal or greater than 3 millimoles per litre or 115 milligrams per deciliter, calculated remnant cholesterol equal or greater than 0.9 millimoles per litre or 35 milligrams per deciliter, calculated non-HDL cholesterol equal or greater than 3.9 millimoles per litre or 150 milligrams per deciliter, HDL cholesterol equal or greater than 1 millimole per litre or 40 milligrams per deciliter, Apolipoprotein A1 equal or greater than 1.25 grams per litre, or 125 milligrams per deciliter. Apolipoprotein B equal or greater than 1.0 grams per litre, or 100 milligrams per deciliter. And lipoprotein A equal or greater than 50 milligrams per deciliter, i.e. 80th percentile. For fasting samples, 
Abnormal concentrations correspond to triglycerides more than or equal to 1.7 millimoles per litre, 150 milligrams per deciliter. Life-threatening concentrations require separate referral when triglycerides are above 10 millimoles per litre, or 880 milligrams per deciliter, for risk pancreatitis, LDL cholesterol above 13 millimoles per litre, or 500 milligrams per deciliter, for homozygous familial hypercholesterolemia, LDL cholesterol above 5 millimoles per litre, or 195 milligrams per deciliter, for heterozygous familial hypercholesterolemia, and lipoprotein A above 150 milligrams per deciliter, i.e. 99th percentile for very high cardiovascular risk. The authors therefore conclude that non-fasting blood samples be routinely used for assessment of plasma lipid profiles. Importantly, laboratory reports should flag abnormal values based on desirable concentration cut points. Finally, non-fasting and fasting measurements should be complementary and not mutually exclusive. As early as the second half of the 19th century, the visionary pathologist Rudolf Virchow stated that atherosclerosis is a chronic inflammation induced by cholesterol. Forgotten over almost a century later, this concept recently moved to center stage in atherosclerosis and infarction. Although anti-inflammatory strategies have been tested in proof-of-concept studies and are now being evaluated in large outcome trials, the initiating mechanisms are still a matter of debate. In their clinical review, Cholesterol Crystal-Induced Arterial Inflammation and Destabilization of Atherosclerotic Plaque, George S. Abella and colleagues from Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan, USA, make a case for cholesterol crystals. The accumulation of low-density lipoproteins in the vascular subintima provides esterified cholesterol to macrophages and smooth muscle cells that convert it into free cholesterol by cholesterol ester hydrolases. Member-bound cholesterol carriers transport free cholesterol to high-density lipoprotein. Impaired transport of high-density lipoprotein and its altered composition can lead to extracellular accumulation of free cholesterol, whereas impaired membrane carrier activity can lead to intracellular free cholesterol accumulation. Saturation of free cholesterol results in cholesterol crystallization with cell death and intimal injury. Disequilibrium between esterified cholesterol and free cholesterol can impact foam cell and cholesterol crystal formation. Cholesterol crystals initiate inflammation via NLRP3 inflammasome, leading to interleukin-1-beta production that in turn induces C-reactive protein. Eventually, crystals growing from within the plaque and associated inflammation destabilize the plaque. Thus, inhibition of inflammation by antagonists to interleukin-1-beta that are currently tested, or agents that dissolve or prevent cholesterol crystal formation, may stabilize vulnerable plaques and in turn prevent plaque rupture and acute coronary syndromes. Besides low-density lipoproteins, other lipids may contribute to cardiovascular risk. Particularly in patients with acute coronary syndromes, in which acute inflammation affects lipid levels, better prognostic biomarkers are needed for risk stratification.
In their fast track, plasma ceramides predict cardiovascular death in patients with stable coronary artery disease and acute coronary syndromes beyond LDL cholesterol. Rayo Larksonen and colleagues from Zora Biosciences in Espo, Finland, and the University Heart Center in Zurich assessed the prognostic value of plasma ceramides in three independent CAD cohorts. The Coragene study was a prospective Finnish cohort including 203 stable cardiovascular diseases and acute coronary syndromes patients and 203 match controls. Multiple lipid biomarkers and C-reactive protein were measured in addition to various plasma ceramides. Subsequently, the association between high-risk ceramides and cardiovascular mortality was investigated in 1,637 patients of the prospective Swiss SPUM-ACS cohort. Finally, the results were validated in the BECAC registry, a prospective Norwegian cohort study of stable cardiovascular patients. Ceramides, especially when used in ratios, were significantly associated with cardiovascular death in all studies, independent of other lipid markers and C-reactive protein. Adjusted odds ratio per standard deviation for the ceramides D18 colon 1 slash 1 6 colon 0 slash ceramides D18 colon 1 slash 2 4 colon 0 ratio was 3.35, 1.64 and 1.77 in the Coragene, SPUM-ACS and BECAC studies, respectively. Moreover, the ceramides D18 colon 1 slash 1 6 colon 0 slash ceramides D18 colon 1 slash 2 4 colon 0 ratio improved the predictive value of the GRACE score in acute coronary syndromes and of the predictive value of the Marschner score in stable coronary artery disease. The authors conclude that distinct plasma ceramide ratios are independent predictors of cardiovascular death, both in patients with stable coronary artery disease and acute coronary syndrome, over and above currently used lipid markers. This may improve the identification of high-risk patients in need of more aggressive therapeutic interventions. The pathophysiology of myocardial infarction may differ depending on whether it occurs early or late in life. In their manuscript entitled Risk Factor Exposure in Individuals Free from Cardiovascular Disease Differs According to Age at First Myocardial Infarction, Klaas Grensbo and colleagues from Lund University in Malmö, Sweden, tested the hypothesis that risk factor pattern differs according to the age at the time of myocardial infarction. The authors performed a matched case control study in the population-based Malmo preventative project. This enrolled 33,346 patients, 3,687 of which developed a myocardial infarction during 22 years of follow-up. The cases were divided into quartiles according to age at event and were assigned two matched controls free from infarction during the same follow-up. The median age at incident, MI, in Q1 was 53 years, in Q2, 61 years, in Q3, 67 years, and in Q4, 74 years. The odds ratio for incident myocardial infarction associated with one standard deviation increase of baseline cholesterol 
decreased with age at myocardial infarction and was 1.68 for Q1, 1.43 for Q2, 1.27 for Q3, and 1.08 for Q4. Similarly, family history of infarction had a stronger relationship with such an event in Q1 than in Q4, whereas smoking displayed a U-shaped relationship. Exposure to the remaining risk factors did not differently affect myocardial infarction occurring at different age spans. The authors conclude that exposure to cholesterol and a family history of infarction more strongly predicts the onset of myocardial infarction at younger ages, suggesting that in younger subjects, such an event is preceded by a different risk factor pattern than in older subjects. The findings are put into further perspective by a thoughtful editorial by Eugene Brownwald from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, USA. Thanks to preventative measures, cholesterol levels have decreased in Western populations over the last decades. As a consequence, cardiovascular mortality due to coronary heart disease has decreased as well. It is of interest that, as reported by Mats Eliasson and colleagues from the Umeå University in Luleå in Sweden, in their paper, Greater Decreases in Cholesterol Levels Among Individuals with High Cardiovascular Risk Than Among the General Population, the Northern Sweden Monica Study, 1994-2014. This trend seems to be influenced by previous cardiovascular disease and the presence of other cardiovascular risk factors. A total of 4,546 women and 4,349 men aged 25 to 74 years participated in five population-based surveys in the Northern Sweden Monica study between 1994 and 2014. Total cholesterol decreased from 6.2 millimoles per litre in 1994 to 5.5 millimoles per litre in 2014 and this trend was more pronounced in elderly than younger patients. Surprisingly, in 2014, participants with previous cardiovascular death, diabetes or hypertension had lower cholesterol levels than the general population, whereas their levels were higher or similar to the general population in 1994. The use of lipid-lowering drugs increased markedly and was used population-wide in 14.3% in 2014. Previously described differences in cholesterol levels between participants with obesity and normal weight and between those with or without university education diminished or vanished over time. Eliasson and colleagues conclude that cholesterol levels decreased by 0.7 millimoles per litre over 20 years with no sign of abating. The improvement occurred in all age and gender groups but more prominently among those at high risk of ischemic heart disease. Mediterranean dietary patterns have been associated with lower cardiovascular mortality. It is less certain, however, if foods common in Western diets are associated with cardiovascular risk. In their paper, Dietary Patterns and the Risk of Major Adverse Cardiovascular Events in a Global Study of High-Risk Patients with Stable Coronary Heart Disease. The stability investigators determined whether dietary pattern assessed by a simple self-administered food frequency questionnaire is associated with major adverse cardiovascular events in 15,482 high-risk patients with stable coronary artery disease. 
At baseline, 97.8% of the participants of the stabilization of atherosclerotic plaque by initiation of Darapladip therapy stability trial completed a lifestyle questionnaire. A Mediterranean diet score was calculated for increasing consumption of whole grains, fruits, vegetables, legumes, fish and alcohol, and for less meat, and a Western diet score for increasing consumption of refined grains, sweets and desserts, sugared drinks and deep-fried foods. After a median follow-up of 3.7 years, major cardiovascular events occurred in 7.3% of the subjects with a Mediterranean diet score equal or above 15, in 10.5% of those with a score of 13 to 14, and 10.8% in individuals with a score equal or above 12. A one-unit increase in Mediterranean diet score above 12 was associated with lower major cardiovascular events after adjusting for all covariates. Surprisingly, there was no association between Western diet score and events. The authors conclude that greater consumption of healthy foods may be more important for secondary prevention of coronary artery disease than avoidance of less healthy foods typical of Western diets. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.